Hi there. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 134. We are a small candy company, but we have gotten national exposure. Hi, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, and now it's time to light it up. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me on the show today. If you're a gifter, baker, crafter, or maker, and you own a brick-and-mortar shop, sell online, or are just getting started, here is where you will find insight and advice to develop and grow your business. And if you want even more Gift Biz motivation, I'd like to invite you to join our private Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. Pursuing your dreams should be fun, exciting, and rewarding, not stressful and scary. When you join the breeze, it's like sitting in the park with friends who bring you all the support and the answers that you need and that you've been looking for. You'll have access to a group of amazing creators along with tools and resources that can catapult your business growth. And a heads up if you're listening right now as this episode is released or shortly thereafter, you'll want to get over into that group soon. I have several special opportunities happening there right now, but you have to be part of the group to participate. I'm talking about free opportunities to affect your business this year, so don't delay. To join the group, go over to giftbizbreeze.com. I look forward to seeing you over there, but for now, let's get on to the show. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Nick Lucas of Lucas Candies. For over 100 years, Lucas Candies has been manufacturing their own chocolate confections. Lucas Candies is a family business currently run by fourth-generation Nick with his partner, Deb Bertrand. Nick and Deb have kept the traditions that started long ago, while at the same time taking chocolate making to the next level. Their number one and most loved product is the PMS bar. By the way, PMS stands for peanut butter, milk chocolate, crushed potato chips, and a semi-sweet chocolate drizzle. Oh, yum. (laughs) They have been featured in places such as Forbes Magazine and on the Today Show and Fox News. So excited to hear the whole story, Nick. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sue. I'd like to start off directly diving into a creative type question. Let us get to know you in a little bit of a different way, Nick, and that is by having you describe a motivational candle. So if you had to pick a color that you really love and a quote or a mantra or some type of saying that really tells us what you're all about, what would your motivational candle look like? Well, obviously, because I'm in the chocolate business, I'd have to go with chocolate brown. It's kind of my heritage. You're surrounded by brown all day long. All day long. Our uniforms are brown. The chocolate's brown. Our boxes are brown. Brown it is. Perfect. And as far as the motivational saying on the candle, one that we've been using for the last couple of years around here is uh, go big or go home. We don't want to be this little small time shop any longer. We are trying for bigger and better. And every time we have a decision to make, my partner and I, either one of us says, you know what, go big or go home. There you go. And I know you do this, and I'm going to share the story right out of the gate, but I'm not going to give the details yet. You and I tried to do this interview a year ago. You were all ready to do it, and then I kept getting in touch with you, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't. We have some crazy stuff going on now. And I think we might be getting into that later, so I'm going to leave everybody in suspense for the time (laughs) being. Okay, we can do that. But you are living by that go big or go home for sure. Thank you. We're trying. I know you are. (laughs) 
So I know that this is a family-run business. Talk to us about how you integrated in. Were you like from a child knowing that you would go in with a family business or how did this all happen for you? Well, yes and no. Growing up in my family, you were expected to work. I think I was about 10 years old when I started working at the store. Whether I was working on customers, doing uh, sales, or the manufacturing end, I was here pretty much from newborn on. And all through high school, I was always here. I pretty much ran the crew for the manufacturing at that point. So it's kind of built into your upbringing. But I wasn't completely sure that I was going to go into it. I went to college and studied engineering. But then again, I had to do a second major also in business so that just in case I would have some business experience also. And when I got out of school, I got the regular corporate jobs and was sitting behind a desk and hated every minute of it. I would actually leave my job, come here, make chocolate at night, make chocolate on weekends, do whatever I could, and finally realized I'm just wasting my time somewhere else. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. So quit my little cushy corporate job and started doing chocolate full time. And that was, I think, about 94. All right. And I'm assuming that there was a little bit of pressure because now you've got three generations that were continuing the business, right? So I'm guessing there was some pressure on you that the anticipation was possibly that you would be picking it up. But it's so great that you ended up in the end really, really liking it and wanting to be there. Yeah, absolutely. There was pressure, but I always tended to do things a little differently than my parents did. So the pressure was, yeah, you should definitely be involved, but make sure you have another source of income and do that and we'll just do it on the side. And I really didn't want to do it on the side. I wanted to do it full blown or give it your all, which you have to do for a small business. If you're not 100% in, it's just not going to work. So that's what I did. So question for you here. If someone is listening now who has a business and they're growing the business, anticipating that their children would take it over one day, you've lived in those shoes of those children. Any suggestions for people like that? It's difficult. For years, I was partners with my parents and everything was going smooth. But when I wanted to start doing things in a different direction, there was some tension. But if there's any advice, communicate, open, talk about it. See what they want to do, see what you want to do, and lay it out because family is very important and you don't want to jeopardize your relationship with your parents and your family members over a business. You're all in it for the same reason. Communicate what you want and what the other people want, and I think that's your best bet how to do it. Well, you're right. And just as you were saying, if you're not 100% in and you don't have the passion, your business is not set up for success. So in terms of the pressure, yes, but at the same time, communicating, as you're saying, because if your children really don't have the heart in it, what you've been growing so much and had your heart into could fail in the end. So I guess just don't make the assumption. Exactly. Everybody has their different motivations and their different plans. Make sure that at least everybody's on the same page or you know what page they're on. So much goes back to communication, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Great piece of information here for us. So you are going to now run the company. Yes. So you're coming into now, you don't have to make anything from scratch, but you've got an established system going on. How did that work out for you? Did you just pick up and carry on, make some changes? Take us there. For the most part, 
it was business as usual. We have a retail store that when my parents were running it, they had very limited hours and it was very, very holiday based. The first thing I did was change the hours to be open more year round, make more everyday chocolates and stuff instead of just holiday. But the production and how everything was made was pretty much the same. I just made more of it and a little bit different. So I kind of took what I learned from my parents and went forward with that. And then from your business training and all of that, too. Absolutely. Like online was something that they never did. The internet was still new then. So one of the first things I did was make a website and start selling online. That way, it was difficult. I mean, we're a little tiny chocolate shop. You didn't get a lot of traffic. But we had a lot of customers that used to live in our area and had moved away, and it gave them an opportunity to be able to order chocolate from their childhood and have it shipped to them, which they were very happy about. So that was the basis for that. Sure. And so today, what percentage of your sales comes retail versus online? It's still probably 90% is still retail. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, the website's growing. When we get some great press or we make it on TV, which doesn't happen all the time, but it has happened. We get a sharp boost in our website because people that don't know us are seeing us and they go check it out. But then when it goes back to normal, most of our customers are still right in our brick and mortar store. Got it. Okay. And then what do you classify your trade show sales as? Is that wholesale or what is? That's wholesale. Yeah. Okay. So that's a different animal itself too. That is. Yes. That's our newest venture, to be honest with you. We started doing trade shows two years ago. And we've been to a whole bunch all over basically the Northeast and all the way as far south as Atlanta. And it's interesting. You meet a lot of new people and it's getting our product out to places that would never have tried us before. But it still has a long way to grow. So it's coming. Okay. So let's dive into all three of these. So your three sources of revenue are your retail shop, wholesale, and online. Let's stay with the trade show first. So when I met you last year, that was your first show that you were exhibiting at, or the first year of your first shows. The show we just had, it was actually our third show. So the first show we ever did was two years ago at the Philadelphia Candy Show. And then we did a second one of those, and this was the third. So it's almost exactly two years to the week that we've been doing it. Three shows in two years. Got it. Okay. So we've talked a lot on the podcast before about trade shows and booth displays and all that. So I don't want to really necessarily go into that. But what is your biggest piece of advice that you would give someone if they're just starting off with shows? What have you learned from your first show to your third show? You only get a couple seconds to catch a buyer's eye. So you have to make your booth visually appealing right off the bat, bright, colorful, something that makes them want to stop and go, huh, that looks cool. We have a kind of a unique product in most trade shows because it's chocolate and people love to sample chocolate. So if the visual doesn't get them, I try to get them to taste a piece. And that works great at shows that are not primarily food. But when you're out there, it's a whole different animal because everybody's trying to sample and you got to get them to stop, taste and look. And it's tough. We've made a bunch of modifications over the last two years to our booth, and I think we finally have it down. The signs are right. The display is right. It catches people, hopefully. 
So we'll see how it goes. Yes, and it's very dangerous because you and I had booths next to each other just a (laughs) couple weeks ago. (laughs) And oh my gosh, your product is delicious. Yes, I tried everything on display (laughs) several times. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, absolutely fabulous. The other thing that you have there that I had asked you about, and I'm going to steal your idea, Nick, sorry, but the video, the looping video, talk a little bit about how great that is. Well, we are a small candy company, but we have gotten national exposure. We've been on the Today Show. We've been on Fox News. We've been on New York news programs. We've been on local TV. And I took all the clips there and put it on a loop so that customers walking by can see what our place looks like, what we're doing, and see celebrities, I should say, talking about our product. When we were on um, Hoda and Kathy Lee on the Today Show, people walk by and go, why is Kathy Lee on your TV? And then there she is eating our chocolate. So it catches them. And a lot of people stay and watch because they're curious to how the stuff's made, what our store looks like, what kind of things we do. And it gave them another visual experience. We were fortunate enough to have these professionally made awesome video clips that I just looped in the booth and people watch it. Yeah. And part of those videos are behind the scenes. So you get a chance to see how the chocolate's made. And again, a little bit different at a chocolate show because people are more accustomed to it. But to your point that you were just talking about earlier, you only get a couple of seconds to be able to start making an interaction that makes people stay longer and it gives you an opportunity to start talking with them. Exactly. When you talk about we're making our PMS bar and then they're watching us make them, it gets them more interested too. And they're like, oh, that's what I'm trying. So it connects on another level. Exactly. So great tips for the trade show. Let's talk a little bit more about your retail store now. Elephant in the room about retail is it's going away because of all the online business, etc. You sound like you're doing it right with 90% of your sales still coming, apart from wholesale, of course, but 90% of your sales coming from your shop. What are you doing to attract people in to actually buy versus in going and buying from somewhere else online? Well, again, I kind of have a unique situation. My store has been here for 121 years, literally in the same spot in the same town. So it's it's really a tradition for most of my customers. They've been coming since they were children. So they come back every year. They have to get their Easter basket from Lucas's. They have to get their Valentine's. They have to get Christmas candy. It's a staple in our community. So getting people to come for those times of the year kind of comes naturally with us. Our store is set up so that they come and bring their kids or they were brought as children. And some of them have been here for 50, 60 years. They've been customers. So that's why they keep coming back here. The challenge is getting new people. That's a whole nother ballgame because they don't know the store. They have to be convinced to come down. Once they get them down and they try our product, they generally come back. We get a lot of repeat customers, obviously. Yeah. So you have your prior generations to thank for some of the business flow because of tradition, but that at some point will fall away. So what are you doing to try and attract new people? Current business that way is kind of plateaued. It's still the same people. We've tried everything, to be honest with you. We've done radio ads, we've done TV ads, we have do a lot of social media, a lot of Facebook, email blasts, we used to send mail flyers, all kinds of stuff like that. But we're also trying to do unique things that you don't really think of. Last week, we just launched one of our new candy bars. It's called the Twisted Pig, and it is a dark chocolate bar with bacon in it, which is 
an upcoming new trend that people are doing, chocolate-covered bacon, but we did a little different twist on it. And we actually launched it at our a local restaurant and bar, and we did it as a cocktail pairing because it's a really uh, deep flavor to it. So we had our friend who's a bartender design a couple cocktails, and they made a whole night of it. And we posted about it on social media, and the turnout was awesome. And it was a lot of people that had never heard about us, wanted to try something new, wouldn't normally come down to our store this time of year, but it created a buzz and it worked. Sounds great. My next question for you was going to be about getting involved with the community, and that's exactly what you're showing right here. I would suggest Gift Biz listeners, collaborations like this could be something for you also to get exposure. If you have a similar audience, but you provide a different product to that audience. Now, in Nick's case, he had kind of combining products because the two together create an entirely different product than each separately. The wine or whatever the drinks are, and then their twisted pig chocolate, which, by the way, I also tasted. is fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. So think about that. If you have some business in your area and your audiences are similar, but you offer something different, what type of a collaboration could you do where you're sharing your customer base with them, they're sharing with you, together you're bigger than each individually, and do an event like Nick's talking about? That sounds awesome because I'm sure you also got people, Nick, who knew of Lucas Candies and then got exposed to the restaurant or the bar or these new drinks that they're creating. So you both win in that case. We did. And luckily, their uh, restaurant is two stores away from us. So we're on the same block. So any customers that came down to them for the tasting would come to us as well. And we would point out oh, our store is right over there. So it worked. Perfect. They got a boost and we got a boost and we got some uh, great publicity for it. Yeah. Sounds like a repeat concept for sure. We have another one planned next month for another candy bar. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> this was the trial. If it worked, we were going to continue and we definitely will. Awesome. I'm getting tips from you on each of the different revenue streams. Let's talk about online now. When you came into the business, that was the first time you were really doing online. Talk to us a little bit about building the platform and creating the website overall. The websites are tricky and they do need a lot of work and a lot of maintenance. When you first start designing your site, the thing you have to keep in mind is that's your store. When they go online, if they're not physically walking in, what they see on their computer is your store. So it has to have the look and feel and quality that you would put in your brick and mortar as you would for your online store. And unfortunately, it involves really good pictures, get them clear, get them nice, get them to stand out if you're highlighting products, put some history about your company. People are always interested in the backstory. Make sure that works. Make sure somebody's maintaining the site. If you're selling products on it, you got to make sure you have the products in your store that you're going to be selling. You don't want to fill orders and go, oh, I don't have any of that information. You really have to treat it as if it is a whole separate entity and another location for your business. Like at one shot, when they're looking for a place, if they see it, the homepage has to catch them right away or they're going to click somewhere else. And there's millions and millions of websites out there. So catch them quick, catch them hard, and make sure your product looks the best it can. Perfect. I kind of have forgotten now. Do you have video on your website? We have a press page. We have the videos. We have links to the videos, whichever ones we can do. And yeah, most of the clips that we're running on our little video in our trade show are on our site too. 
We've even done little silly videos and put them up. We're starting to do more and more where we're filming us making or we're doing a live video or that, and we're going to try and put them up as well because, again, people want to see the behind the scenes and how things really work, and they feel like they're more of the family if they have a little inside track. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you're talking about how you're doing more social media now. Video on social media is a big deal. So even some of that fun type of stuff, I'm not necessarily talking with you about this, Nick, but I'm thinking for all of our listeners, if you have a WordPress site or another site where it allows you to bring in a widget of a Facebook feed or an Instagram feed, you can have just casual video going on in there And then the professional videos like Nick's been talking about also on your site. Both of those types are acceptable now. So there almost isn't an excuse to not add video or some type of movement to your site because it just is so valuable these days. Absolutely. All right. So final question here on that. So when an order comes in online, are you filling it from the retail shop? Yes. We have all our stock is here. So it fills and ships out of our store. Okay. And do you have a system like certain people are dedicated to certain functions within the business? There is, but a lot of it just falls on myself or my partner. The the online is me. So I fill the orders. I maintain the site. When you run a small business, you got to have a lot of hats because you do it all. Right. My partner does Facebook mostly. I do our online store. She handles packaging and the more front of the house presentation of our store and stuff like that, where I'm much more production. And then we come together for new ideas and new projects and planning and all of the other good stuff involved with businesses. So you do kind of have your funnels of what each is responsible for, but you can overlap when, like, let's say you get a whole ton of online orders and the store's a little quieter or something, you'll overlap a little bit, but you do have your areas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a lot of overlap. All right. So take us, Nick, to a challenging moment. And I'm hoping you're going to tell us why we couldn't do the interview last year. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you were going there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last year was our 120th anniversary. Very, very few businesses get to say that, but we were in business for 120 years. And my partner and I were brainstorming, trying to figure out what we were going to do to celebrate it. We talked about having a some kind of party with the community or have something like that. We had banners made for the windows for the year, but we really wanted to end the year on a big note. And we came up with the idea to make homemade candy canes live in the store. I used to make candy canes when I was a kid. My father and I made them, and growing up, it was the coolest thing I ever saw to watch molten sugar boiling and pouring it out and ending up with a cane was incredible. And I was telling my partner about it for years. And I said, one day we're going to bring it back. One day, even if I just make them to show you, I want you to see how cool it is. So we decided that's what we were going to do to celebrate the 120th. But we were going to move the operation up into our store so that our customers could come in and watch us make them. Easier said than done. Well, and describe this a little bit, how this is different than a candy cane that you might see in your grocery. Well, the candy canes you see, the little tiny ones and stuff, They're still sugar candies, obviously, but they're all done by machines. They make a white peppermint candy and they paint with food coloring a red stripe around it. So it's always perfect and it always looks that way. And there's, I don't know, to me, there's no real charm to them. They're just mass produced and put out there. And that's why they're everywhere. Ours are different. Everyone is unique. It's a real labor intensive process and it makes for a great show. And Deb was telling me that the twist, that red twist, because it's not painted on, 
goes all the way through. Yeah, we actually have to split the batch of candy when it's still liquid. And half becomes white, half becomes red. And then after they are the right colors, you put them back together into kind of like a loaf. And it's white in the center and there's red on each side. And then you start stretching the candy and twisting it and pulling it to get it to the right size and make sure your red stripe looks like a red stripe and twist and twist and pull and keep going until it's where you want it. So a lot of effort and a lot of technique, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. It took us a while to get the technique down. I still joke with Deb about it because Deb is uh, quality control. She wants (laughs) all the appearance of the product and the way the store looks and everything is really under her. And when we said we're going to make candy canes, I said, look, they're not going to come out like the store ones. They're not going to be as white as the ones you see there. They're all going to be different sizes. They're all going to be different stripes. You'll see. So we made our first few batches and she's like, all right, these are good, but we can do better. So we made another batch, had to make them better and better and better and 600 candy canes later, she had the canes that she wanted and the technique down and everything. So it took us kind of a month of making canes every day to get the color right, get the consistency right, get the sizing right, get it all done. And it worked because they came out amazing. So tell us how well they worked in terms of customer acceptance. Well, we started them and we were going to do the live shows every weekend in December, two shows on Saturday, two shows on Sunday. And we just wanted to bring some people down that maybe necessarily weren't going to come down for Christmas or give them something, give them something the kids could come see, something for free, come down and watch this operation. And the first weekend, our town has, they call it holidays in Havistra. So a lot of the businesses do some kind of holiday thing. And it's usually a pretty good day for us. And we had, I think, total for that day, about 70 people in the store which was great. We were very pleased with that. The next day, we only had a handful of people come and we kind of figured it would go that way. We had a long-term plan that maybe within five years, we'd have consistent shows and stuff like that because it takes time, but we're doing something new. We'll try it. Right after that, we got a call from our local newspaper, who's over the years have done lots of different articles about us and lots of different press, which is great. Local paper, local business, it's how it should be. So they called and said they wanted to do an article. They heard about this. And I said, absolutely, come on in. They videoed us for their website and wrote a great article. And it came out. It was on the front page. So great publicity. We were super happy. And we're like, good, this is going to work. We'll get more people this weekend and it'll be great. That day, CBS News called. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And now I'm in New York. So it's New York City CBS News. It's not a little local station. It's I think the biggest independent broadcast of CBS in the country. So he calls up and Deb answers the phone and he says, hi, I'm Lou Young from CBS and I hear you're making candy canes today. She's like, "Um, well, no, we make them on the weekends. He's like, oh, because I was hoping to come down and see it. She's like, no problem. We'll make them for you. Good for her. She jumped on the opportunity. Right. Without telling me or asking me or anything. (laughs) So she gets off the phone and says, Nick, do you want to make some candy canes today? And I said, oh, no, definitely not. Last thing I want to do. She's like, well, CBS News just called and they want to come film us. I'm like, oh, oh gosh. okay, well, I, I guess we'll make canes. When are they come? And she's like, 45 minutes. I'm like, all right, let's go. And we had nothing set up because we broke everything down to run our store. We ran like maniacs and set it up and he walked in and we were ready to start cooking. And it was on CBS News that night. And the crowd started. And then more press started. By the time we were done, 
in one week, CBS filmed us, NBC filmed us. We had two local news stations come in and film us. Zagat, the restaurant reviewer, came and did a live feed for it because they were going across the country doing holiday foods, saw us on CBS and said, we're going there tomorrow. And (laughs) it was amazing. We had 20,000 people watched it live on Facebook while they're filming it. And the crowds just started coming in. Every show, the store was full 200 people at a time. Our entire supply of candy canes was wiped out in the first weekend. I think we had about four to 500 canes made to sell in a store. And then each batch yields 50 to 80 canes, depending on how many we did. So we were like, all right, so we have some for them to sell. And we're going to be making more each weekend. No problem. It was gone. Not one cane in the store. And now people are at the show and they want candy canes. You see it being made, they want them. So now we're taking orders for them and we're making canes nonstop for the next week to fill the orders of the people who came to the show just so that they can take home something. So then they had to come back to the store and pick up the candy canes and it was insane. We were had to limit our candy canes to five canes per person per day because we couldn't make any more than that. And people were coming in and trying to buy 20, 30 canes at a clip. It, it just wasn't fair to everybody else. So we really had to limit it. And so we would run batches in the morning and they'd be ready by 10 o'clock. The line was out the door at 10 o'clock to buy candy canes. As soon as they were gone, we'd start making more, do them again. And they were ready at four o'clock and people would sell out in 10 minutes. And that went all the way till Christmas Eve. People were still coming in, trying to see a show or buy candy canes. It was insane. I never worked so hard my entire life. That is insane. I mean, who would know? And it's not like you could have anticipated that because you're not going to make millions of candy canes only for the reception not to be that. Right. Now you know different for this year, and we'll talk about that in a second. But hindsight now, advice for people who hopefully, I'm sure you guys didn't feel so excited (laughs) in the middle of having to do batch after batch after batch after batch, but what a great problem to have. We were thrilled. How did you handle it? So you mentioned that you started limiting people when they were coming in the shop so that you weren't sold out within like an hour after you opened in the morning. But what other advice if someone encounters a problem like this, a good problem like this? You can't be ready for everything. And there is a fine line because if we didn't get the press that we got, we wouldn't have had all these people coming. So we couldn't foresee that. But have a game plan, have a backup plan. Look, if this takes off, what are we going to do? Good. Yeah. And whether or not you're set or not, like we ran out of bags for the candy canes. We ran out of bows because we estimated what we would sell, bought our supplies accordingly, and then went through them in four days. So we had to last the whole month. But I try to have a contingency plan for most things. This one, it came out of left field. So it caught me by surprise. This one was such a special technique. It's not like you can just bring in some temporary help and train them right away because speed at that point was an issue. Speed, you're dealing with 300 degree molten sugar and physically you have to know how to do it so that you don't get burned, you don't get hurt and to make the product. There was no way we could train anybody. There was nobody that we would have trained. It was just Debbie and I. We had one other person help us make the hook on the cane, which is pretty straightforward. You look and see how big you want the hook, and you hook it and you move the canes off. So that part was pretty easy, and we had a variety of people doing that. Debbie's oldest daughter was our primary person for that job, and she actually made the front page of the newspaper. It was her holding candy canes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was her reward. (laughs) Yeah. So what are you doing different this year? 
We're starting candy canes probably in about two or three weeks, and we know we'll go through a couple thousand canes, so we have to make them ahead of time. We can't be making canes for people to buy while we're doing shows. There was just not enough time, and we have a retail store to run as well. We have lots of other products. It's not just canes, so we have to be prepared. Debbie has it scheduled when we start candy canes, and even if we do a batch or two a day every morning, we'll have the amount we need by the time the show starts so that we can just concentrate on entertaining the people that are there, showing them how it works, and getting through our season without working 16, 20-hour days. Yeah. And the physical labor. I mean, I remember Deb talking to me just a couple of weeks ago about how after all of that was done, just the stretching and all that has to be done. I mean, physically, her arms were, she was in pain. Her arm still hurts. It's been nearly a year and it's still bothering her. It's like carpal tunnel syndrome in one week. Magnified. Yeah. Yeah. Oh and that's what it was. It was repeated motion over and over and over. And one motion she makes, she's like, oh, there it is. That's candy cane. And I have the same issue, but mine's a different motion because my physical part is I have to actually pull the candy canes on a hook. It's literally a hook on the wall and you have to stretch it and stretch it. And that's what makes the candy cane turn from a yellow color to white. Debbie insists on our canes being as white as possible. So every batch I'm pulling 20 pounds of hot candy 75 times. Oh, my gosh. When we're doing them live, she makes the crowd count, so I can't cheat. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, that's cool, too. Crowd participation. That's awesome. What a great idea. We put on a great show. We're like a comedy routine. most. Are you going to video those shows? We did video a bunch of them last year. We had somebody doing it, and that was one of our promos. We put it on Facebook Live. We did and stuff like that. And then we had so much press, there's like professionally videoed us making candy canes all over the internet now. So it's great. Oh, I'm going to have to find some of those links and put them in the show notes so people can see them. We had one of them running at our trade show. We put CBSs on our little... uh, Was it on the loop? It was. It was a short one, but it was really captured the whole candy canes well. Yeah, I must have missed that one. Probably because I was eating the chocolate. I was too busy. Probably, yeah. (laughs) Too busy with that. (laughs) Most of the videos on there deal with chocolate because that's what we're wholesaling. But the candy cane one was too good not to add. So we stuck it on there too. And we had a new chocolate piece that had candy canes in it, too. So it kind of tied back. So it worked. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. Did you try that one? Yes, I did. I tried every (laughs) single one. (laughs) Absolutely. That one was sitting right in the middle of the table. Yes, it was. Yeah. See, I remember. You got it. Yeah. But my favorite one was the PMS for sure. And one of the things that I really love besides the creative combinations and all of that is the naming of the products because they're all so fun kind of like twisted pig right talk us through just a little bit about your procedures or what you do when you think you're going to do some type of a new combination how does that all come together when we try to come up with it we usually have some starting point like the twisted pig a lot of people were asking do you do chocolate covered bacon do you do that So we usually start with some concept, whether it's customer inquiry or just an idea that one of us get. So we start with that and then try to figure out how we're going to make it, what kind of flavor contrast do we want, and the name. The name is important. So with that one, it was, all right, we know we want bacon and we know we want dark chocolate. That's where we're starting. But there was something missing. We started with that and it was good, but it wasn't wow. And if it's not wow, we don't want to make it. Yeah, now you're talking about in terms of the production and the ingredients now. 
Yeah, because that's the first step. You really got to get your flavors together. And once you get that, then you can go to the more marketing because you really got to know what you're trying to promote before you can come up with it. And we do a lot of brainstorming and we talk to a lot of people, a lot of our local places. Like I said, the bar and restaurant that we launched it with, we tend to go in there with samples and the staff try and get their feedback. And inevitably it comes down. So what are you going to call it? So we're always there with a notepad going, all right, well, we want to call it this. We want to try this. You want to get this combination. And it's a lot of brainstorming, honestly, and then getting some feedback because the people there were like, what do you think if we call it Twisted Pig? Another one for that one. It was what the oink. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was another contender. We go through it and each one is a little different. PMS, we kind of stumbled into. That was the first one that we really had a quirky name for. And it fit it so well that half the publicity was for the flavor of it and half was because of the name. And from then on, every new candy bar that we do has to have something unique. We can't just call it bacon and chocolate. It has to be Twisted Pig because it's a selling point. And people read the names and laugh or go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's in here. And it's another reason why they want to buy it. Yeah, and it makes you different too, for sure. And the thing I like also about your story is when you're going and having an audience also help you, whether it's the people who are at the restaurant a couple doors down, or if you went on Facebook, because if they've had participation in bringing up names, for example, maybe their name gets selected. They could be like, oh my gosh, he chose my name. Everyone's got to try it. So then the word gets out even further. And even if someone just participated, they feel like they have ownership a little bit. Absolutely. And that was one of the things we promoted with the event the other night. One of the taglines in the advertising was, come be our guinea pig. Oh, so cute. That's smart. It was good. And we had little feedback cards and people wrote their reviews and they felt like they were part of the making process. They were. It's a very different bar for us. We've never done anything with bacon or anything like that before. So the flavor palettes are a little different than your standard nuts and raisins or whatever and chocolate. So the feedback on it was really good and really helpful. And it's also really good. That was on the end on the right-hand side. (laughs) Yes, it was. The one closest to my booth, I might add. (laughs) Yes, it was. You got it. You did study all our chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, I was there with you for three days. Of course I did. I know. (laughs) So moving on to a little bit of a different vein now, talking more about technical stuff, about how you get everything done there. Is there some type of an application you're using on the computer or something that you're doing in store that's making life easier that you think would be useful to our listeners? A couple years back, we got a uh, POS system, which was something that we would never have thought of before. We always just had regular standard cash registers, and we tried to keep track of about how many we sold based on, well, I ran these for four days, so I probably made 500 of them or whatever. But it was all guesswork. When we got the POS, it allowed us to print out a chart for Christmas of last year and go, look, we sold a thousand PMS bars in the month of December in our store. We know we got to make that. And it gave us a real guideline as to how much we should produce. And it's been really helpful. We never had a real good handle on that before. And now we know to the number how many we sold. And that helps with our planning, it helps with our budgeting, it helps with everything. Sure. Ingredients, purchasing, production, all of it. Every aspect. Like this week, we have to start going through our Christmas numbers because we have to start making 
our more everyday line, chocolate-covered Oreos and candy bars and pretzels and that kind of stuff, because that's always our first step, because it goes into a lot of baskets and gift items and that. And we have to have our numbers ready because Christmas is coming. So we got to make candy canes in between. So I can't be worrying about making chocolate-covered Oreos. I have to have that down and have our numbers ready to go preseason. So we're in the planning phase now for our first big holiday, which is obviously going to be Christmas. And the great thing about that is it's capturing the numbers without you having to do any input other than what you would normally do, which is a sale. Exactly. It was a lot to get it going. We actually had to uh, barcode everything and print labels for everything so that it can track them. But once the work was done, it makes uh, ringing up customers quicker and it makes planning a hundred times quicker and easier. Yeah, sounds like it. Are you willing to share with us what system you're using? It's called Shopkeep. It actually uses iPads as a register. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I actually learned about them at the Philadelphia Candy Show. About five years ago is when we started that system, and I learned about it for the first time there. It was still relatively new at that point, but it's come a long way. It's reports, it's back office, everything is better than it's ever been. So yeah, I'd recommend it. Thank you for sharing that with us. And you walked me into my very next question. Trade shows, of course, but where else are you going or what do you do to keep current with your industry? With our industry, we're going right back to the Philadelphia Candy Show. We recently started exhibiting there. And in doing that, we joined the Retails Confectioner Association of Philadelphia. They're the people that put on the show. And it's all candy people from different parts of the country. And I've learned so much talking to them because everybody has similar experiences. They all have retail stores or manufacturer or online or looking at this ingredients company or this machine and how did this work? And it's been the most valuable resource that I've ever had. I grew up in the chocolate industry, but I didn't know anybody in it. It was just me. And I learned from my parents and my father taught me how to make it and he learned from his parents. So Hearing new stories and new ways of doing things has changed our business. They do a trip every year, usually in May, and they tour different candy companies from small little mom and pop shops to huge factories. And we've gone to Canada last year. We went to Ohio this year. It was so valuable. We come back and we're like, look, we have to take this idea. We're going to change our store. Debbie renovated the entire store this year based on our trip. Because she saw something at one of the places in Canada and went, that's what we have to do, and redesigned everything. So it was unbelievable how helpful it is. Yeah. Two things here. Number one, if you have an association that links to your industry, whether you're a jewelry maker, baker, retail confection association, in the craft show, there's also membership things. So number one, look in your industry what's available. And then don't just have a membership, participate, like Nick's saying, whether it's a trip or connecting up with people online. We're so lucky now that we can do that online. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, and I love that you talked about this, Nick, is Deb took action. She saw something that looked good and she came back. You didn't just go on a trip and get new ideas and mingle with other people in your industry. You found something really tangible that will bring your business to another level and actually acted on it. She did. How many times do you hear people, you know, they take courses or they go to trade shows or whatever, they come back so energized, and then it's eh, business as usual? I mean, it happens to us all the time. We were buyers at trade shows for years. You would see an idea and you'd talk about it on the drive home and go, we should do it. We should do it. Taking action is not the easiest thing. 
And sometimes it can be costly. Sometimes it can be difficult. But nothing changes if you don't. Exactly. So go for it. If you see a good idea that's working somewhere else, it may work for you too. Don't be afraid. Yep. Perfect. All right. As we're winding down here, any final advice for that newbie who's like, okay, this is exciting. I love what Nick's saying. 10 minutes later, they're going to get off and go, I don't know. What's your advice to them? Don't give up. Running your own business is difficult, stressful, frustrating, but also super rewarding. And there's a lot to be said about going out and being an entrepreneur and taking the risk. It's a lot easier to do a job and get a regular paycheck every week. It's hard to be on your own, and it takes a lot of work. But if it's something that you want to do and you're passionate about, go for it. Nobody else is going to do it for you. So do it, stay with it, try your best, and hopefully succeed. There you go. Couldn't have said it better. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now I want to present you, Nick, with a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. So this is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. Please accept this gift on behalf of my audience and myself and open it in our presence. What is inside your box? Given the state of my company now and where I want it to be, I'd love a contract for a national chain that's going to sell my PMS bar all across the country because I want everybody to taste it. I want everybody to know what it is. And I want to sell millions of them. It's really our goal right now. We're waiting for that big break. We thought we were getting one this year. Didn't work out, but the potential is there. And the product is awesome. That's what I want. I want to be in a high-end store across the country and people talking about how great PMS is, which anybody would ever say that, but I want them to say it. (laughs) There you go. And I was a little bit worried that you were going to say candy canes. (laughs) No, 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 no. You didn't. No, no. I like what I do with them. It's unique and it's small time and it's really family oriented. That's as much as I want. Yeah. We put them on our website last year for one day after we were on CBS. One day. And we got hit with so many orders, we had to pull it off that night. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I don't want to make candy canes like that. But your PMS bar is something that you can produce more in mass. Absolutely. That's more our... uh, the direction we want to go and the product we want to push. So yeah, that's what I want. So now all our listeners are curious about the PMS bar. Where can they go and find it? Easiest place is our website. It's www.lucascandies.com. And it's featured on there. And you can see our PMS bar and some of our other products and read a little bit about us. That's the place to go. Perfect. So you guys know show notes page. We'll have all the links. So you can go there, check all of it out, check out the videos. I am going to try and find the candy cane making video and also have that on the show notes page. So you'll be able to find it really quickly and easily. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Nick, seriously, I'm already thinking of a couple of names. I will tell you them after we're done recording of places where I bet you your chocolate is going to be showing up and I'm going to give it at the most two years. So I totally see your virtual gift happening. Absolutely. So exciting for your future. Some of the stuff that you shared here are totally the keys to success. You guys are so right on in terms of taking the really, really important skills and steps that you need to grow a business. You're already doing them. So I see nothing but a bright future for you. 
And going back to that candle of yours, go big or go home, I think you're nailing it. Oh, thank you. So may your candle, Nick, and also for Deb, always burn bright. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by the Ribbon Print Company. Looking for a new income source for your gift business? Customization is more popular now than ever. Brand your products with your logo or print a happy birthday Jessica ribbon to add to a gift right at checkout. It's all done right in your shop or craft studio in seconds. Check out theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on iTunes. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well. And one more super important thing. If you aren't already a member of our Facebook group, don't forget to jump over there now. To do that, just go to giftbizbreeze.com.